Welcome back to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast, brought to you by Violet Defense. Violet Defense is dedicated to protecting our world from germs by bringing the power of UV disinfection to everyday spaces. Their patented technology enables them to harness the power of the sun to incorporate ultraviolet light into products and environments like never before. Whether you're ready to implement existing products or if you'd like to explore researching and developing a custom deployment of their technology for your school, Violet Defense has the solutions and the experience you need. Thanks again to Violet Defense for sponsoring the Educational AD Podcast. The Educational AD Podcast also wants to thank Varsity Brands, including BSN, Varsity Spirit, and Herf Jones. Varsity Brands, elevating student experiences in sport, spirit, and achievement. The Educational AD Podcast also wants to thank Hometown Ticketing, who helps thousands of schools across the country seamlessly provide convenient digital ticketing options for their communities, families, and fans. Hometown Ticketing, simple and easy online ticketing. The Educational AD Podcast also wants to thank these sponsors, Gipper, Vital Signs, Camp Mobile, Ephesus Lighting, and Booster Digital Displays. Thanks for sponsoring the Educational AD Podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast, brought to you by Violet Defense. We've got a really cool guest today, Betsy Butterick is a professional coach and communication expert. She works with coaches and athletes and teams and uh, schools and universities to improve uh, communication, uh, to strengthen relationships, and hopefully create a competitive advantage for your program. She's worked with some pretty impressive clients, and I'm going to let her talk a little bit more about that. But uh, Betsy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Jake. It's great to be here. Oh, well, uh, I, I heard about your you know, program and was intrigued, and, and you and I had a chance to talk uh, a while back about it, and uh, I'm excited to hear what you have to share with our listeners. And uh, to get started, we always like to let our uh, uh, guests uh, tell our listeners a little bit about themselves. So give us that quick bio, uh, where you grew up, where you went to college, uh, you know, your background in sports a little bit, and, and how you got to this position as a communicating coach expert? <laughs> I'd say a very non-traditional path, I'll say. I started playing sports when I was three with soccer. That was my first love. Played almost all sports growing up, everything from gymnastics to softball to swim team, taekwondo. I was in a handball tournament once, which was really fun. So had a diverse athletic experience growing up. And then when my family moved from the East Coast to California, that was the first time that basketball and soccer were the same season. They were both now winter sports. So I had to choose when I got to high school. I was arguably better at soccer, but I enjoyed basketball more. So played basketball, four years of varsity in high school, and then played junior college, division one, division three. And it would be easy, I think, to look at that and say, oh, you know, that's one of those kids that topped around a lot, like wasn't getting enough playing time. And for me, the thing was when we moved to California, I was 11 years old and we moved to the Bay Area 
And I immediately fell in love with Stanford women's basketball. And that was the goal. That was the dream. That was where I wanted to play. And I thought, gosh, if I can get admitted, then I can try out as a walk-on. So applied out of high school, got a rejection letter, taped it on the ceiling above my bed as motivation to get better, went to the local junior college, applied again after my freshman year, got a second rejection letter. And I'm the only person I know that was rejected from Stanford twice, although I haven't asked around. And at that point, I had to decide, okay, do I take a division one offer that's on the table that's not Stanford, or do I try a third time? And having a twin brother and having parents who put themselves through college, I thought, you know what? Getting school paid for through sport was one of the ultimate goals, so let's do that. So I played division one for a year out at UMBC in Maryland, and then in that year discovered that while I really enjoyed the division one atmosphere, what I wanted out of my college experience was a high focus on academics. So I made the switch and transferred from division one to division three, Claremont McKenna. So I played two years of division three, got my degree in psychology. And now I work, I like to say I work as um, someone who has a background in sport and a degree in psychology, but is not a sports psychologist. And after college, I got right into coaching. I had attended Stanford basketball camp as a camper. And then I started coaching camp for Tara Vandeveer when I was in college. And then before I graduated, she said, Betsy, when you finish at Claremont, do you want to come back and be the women's basketball intern? So I said, of course. So, you know, 11, I fall in love with Stanford, 22, now I'm part of their staff. And then it was there that I met Heidi Vandeveer, Tara's youngest sister, and the only other Vandeveer that coaches basketball. At the time, she was coaching in the WNBA with the Seattle Storm. So after Stanford, I went to the WNBA, spent a year with their staff, and then the University of Washington took on a new staff, and I got on as their video coordinator. After a year there, I went to Occidental College because Heidi, Tara's sister, got out of the pros back into college, becoming the head coach at Occidental College, which is Division Three. So Heidi and I coached there for four years, and then at UC San Diego for three. Heidi's still the head coach at UC San Diego, but between Oxy and UCSD, we won five championships in seven years at two different divisions, and really Heidi helped lay the foundation for the work that I do today. So while I was at Oxy, I started... Well, I guess that was the first time I became aware that coaching was something that existed outside of sport. And the joke while I was coaching basketball was that I liked basketball, but what I really loved was people. So as soon as I knew there was an opportunity to coach people that had nothing to do with sport, I thought that's what I feel most called to do. And I'd like to put that skill set back into sport. So much of my life, of my path has been influenced by coaches and by athletics. And so I earned my integral coaching certificate out of a school in San Francisco in 2011 and began coaching coaches while also coaching basketball. And then in 2015, reached the point where I no longer felt like I was giving my best to either and made the decision to step fully off the court and into coaching coaches full time. The communication specialist piece evolved really from my coaching background and from a curiosity of how can we be more effective with our language, with the way that we communicate, the way that we educate. As coaches, I see us as educators and how can, by improving the quality of our communication, we elevate not only the quality of the student athlete experience, but also the success of the program. And that's fully the space that I get to play in now. So it's been quite, as I said, a non-traditional path and such a wonderful journey. You know, it's always fascinating for me to hear these stories. And, you know, you touched on something that, you know, we as coaches, and I'm sure you touch on yourself with parents about the importance of the sport experience. And it's not so much, you know, the, the scholarships or the state championships or those types of things, but it's how you're going to use those life skills, if you will, 
you know, for the rest of your life. Uh, and in your, you talked about, you know, your love of sports, but your love of people too. Uh, very cool. Uh, you also mentioned people that influenced you. And one of the things that we always ask our guests uh, is about the mentors in their life. Uh, the expression mm-hmm. I always use is I still hear those voices in my head, you know, when I'm talking to a coach or a kid or sometimes a parent. So uh, whose voice do you still hear? Gosh, there's four people that come to mind in particular. First, my folks um, from an early age, their belief for my twin brother and I, and eventually our younger sister was, if you think you can, you can, and try, give it a shot and see what happens. And there was so much love. I think that foundation of love, especially as a young child and the belief in really allowed me then later as an adult to do something crazy, like, you know, start a business without knowing anything about starting a business and leave a career where I was very successful and happy to do something completely unknown. There's phrases, especially my dad used to say that often pop up into my head, things like it takes less time to do it right than to do it over. I think about that every time I'm like tempted to take a shortcut. Um, And then Heidi, Heidi Vandiver is a huge influence on me. I think one of the most poignant lessons that I learned from my time with Heidi is the way you win championships is by investing in people. And every year when we spoke to our team, especially at the beginning of the year, our focus was always, okay, how do we as coaches make each individual athlete feel seen, valued, and appreciated regardless of skill level? Especially when you're working in division three and even division two, you don't necessarily have the most skilled student athletes. So if that's what you're looking for, or if that's what you're you know, comparing these student athletes against you know, other skilled student athletes, it's not setting anyone up for success. So separate from skill, how do we pour into each individual in our program and make them feel that intrinsic value? What happens is when you do that, you get a bunch of happy people and happy people tend to give you their best. And when you have a whole group of people giving their best, well, you tend to win a lot of games and we did. So Heidi's been a huge influence on my life just as a person and also professionally within the basketball world. And then Marlene Bjornsrud, who is retired now, but was the executive director of many women's sporting organizations. She was huge as far as an influence with Bossy Bay Area Women in Sport in the Bay Area. She was for a time the executive director of the Alliance of Women Coaches, which is now We Coach. And she actually lives about six minutes away from me here in Colorado Springs. So friend, mentor, someone who is just really a, a wise and I'll say grounded and wonderful woman with with an incredible perspective and someone that I continuously learn from. Again, just uh, I love to hear these. And it's a great reminder for all of us that, you know, we didn't get here on our own. You know, we had, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people encouraging us, uh, patting us on the back or kicking us in the butt, you know, whatever we needed yeah. at the time. <laughs> Lovingly, uh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, Betsy, talk a little bit uh, again, because this is a little bit of a non-traditional uh, role you have. Uh, Talk a little bit about that transition from, you know, very successful college basketball coach who might be dabbling in, uh, you know, the life coaching area to what you're doing now, you know, working directly with, you know, student athletes, programs, uh, teams, you know, how did that, you know, um, eventually develop? And I think about, I think it's the, the movie, I robot the animated film where I first heard the phrase, the dad saying to the young son, you know, find a need, fill a need. And in my experience at Stanford and then in the WNBA and then at the University of Washington, there was a part of 
of my journey where people were saying, you know, you've worked for two Olympic coaches in three years, you're on the fast track to division one greatness. And there was another part of me that said, I'm, I'm not sure that that's exactly where my services or skill set could be best suited. And what I learned, especially as I became aware that coaching was something outside of sport was coaches at all levels and having worked in and played in junior college, division one, division two, division three, coaches at all levels need someone that is there just for them. So someone that's not a significant other, not a member of the staff, not a friend, not a mentor, but someone objective, a third party person who is simply there to support their growth and development because we ask so much of our coaches all the time and there's so little intentional support. Maybe you get lucky to have a fantastic athletic director or a great administrator to support a coach and they're also supporting so many other coaches. So I thought if I can be someone who's there to help a coach be at their best so they can then give their best to the student athletes in their program, we can improve the quality of the student athlete experience and elevate success for everyone. So the goal was, okay, what if, you know, find a need, fill a need. I see coaches facing burnout. I see coaches being asked to do so many things that were never part of their job description. And I also see a lack of ability outside of our, our sporting organizations, you know, going to the final four, great programming, depending on what your sport is, there's these once a year conferences where we're getting some skills, we're educating ourselves. Some coaches are more proactive than others. And depending on the level, a lot of coaches simply don't have the time with everything else that's on their plate. But can we be intentional about embedding someone that's simply there to support coaches in everything we're asking them to do? And that's really the space that I've found myself in is I tend to work with teams or individuals on either end of the spectrum. So for example, Jake, I'll get a call from an athletic director that says, hey, Betsy, we've got this coach. Um, let's say if it's college level, we've got some you know, end of season student feedback surveys that aren't favorable. And I'm wondering if you can work with this individual to develop them in some areas where they've got the, the possibility for growth. On the other end of the spectrum, I've got really high performing teams that say, you know what? We feel like we've done everything that we know how to do. Let's try something different. And maybe communication is the competitive edge that we need in order to take the next step, whether that's being able to have more difficult conversations in a way that builds trust and relationship within their program, or whether it's looking at the language of the coaching staff and how do we, in the language of a program and the culture of that program, be very efficient and effective with our communication in the limited time frame that we have, especially with our sport. You think, okay, soccer, we've got no timeouts. So how are you effective with your communication in the moment? And how is that understood and then also redistributed amongst the team? I'll say the largest piece of work that I find myself routinely doing is shortening the distance between intention and impact. So the intention we have, whether as a coach or an administrator or a parent or a student athlete, the intention we have when we say something and then often the unintended or alternate impact that it has. So how do we bring those things into closer alignment? That's where a lot of my work tends to, to be. Uh, I know uh, in my circles, maybe the last couple of years, you know, the, the word or the phrase be intentional with your coaching mm -hmm. and uh, has just been, you know, one of the buzzwords. Uh, I love how you talk about, you know, taking it one step further, you know, making sure that you're being impactful. Um, Let's take a little bit of a deeper dive uh, into some of the things that you just mentioned. Um, I know that you've got um, a wide variety of uh, workshops and programs, uh, but I know one of the things that you do is specifically talk to 
uh, coaching uh, Generation Z student mm -hmm. athletes. Um, without taking the whole workshop, um, <laughs> you know, what are a, a couple of things that uh, an athletic director who might also be coaching right now um, take away? Uh, you know, what are some things that um, an athletic director like me, who's been doing this, uh, you know, for 41 years, uh, yeah. you know, what are some new tricks that you can teach the old dog? <laughs> well, and I love dogs of all ages. And I'll say that where we find ourselves currently, Jake, and this is, it's been the most requested workshop that I do. And, and I have a digital course around the same content because I wanted to make it more accessible to folks. So kids these days, that's the phrase that I hear, whether I'm working with high school coaches and athletic directors, college coaches, athletic directors, even in the pros, kids these days is a phrase that I often hear. And what comes next isn't positive most of the time. It's a criticism. It's a judgment. It's a comparison between kids these days. And when that individual who's speaking was a student athlete, which as you just mentioned is sometimes 41 or 31 or 21 years ago. So today's young people, anyone born during or after 1996 are different from any generation we've previously coached. And the focus of the workshop is really understanding the relationship that this generation has with technology and the ways that that provides unique challenges for us as coaches. And it's fascinating when I work with coaches who are fairly young, not fully members of Gen Z or maybe on the cusp, and they say, oh my gosh, like, I never thought about it in this way. So the first invitation that I have, whether you're an athletic director or a coach who's listening is instead of making a comparison or a judgment about kids these days compared to when we were a student athlete, the thing I ask them to hold in mind is this idea that it's not impossible, it's simply unpracticed. And what I mean by that is the way Gen Z has grown up with technology and most of Generation Z learned to operate some form of technology before they could speak. The way they've grown up with technology has prevented members of this generation from having to build certain skill sets or do certain things that all previous generations had to do because we didn't have the same technology. So they haven't had the ability to practice some of the skill sets that we often criticize them for. And again, coach as educator, can we be intentional about providing opportunities for them to grow in these skill areas instead of simply criticizing them for not having them? So what does that look like in sport? Unique challenges related to Gen Z, shortened attention span, so roughly eight seconds. So how do we get and hold the attention of today's student athlete in a way that involves them in the process? Co-creation is a big thing for Gen Z. So they have through technology, the ability to customize so many aspects of their life. They have that same desire when it comes to their sporting experience. So the challenge for us as coaches is how do we co-create with them? How do we give them opportunities to customize their sport experience within the structure that we provide as coaches? An example would be okay if let's say most teams, regardless of sport are gonna do some sort of warm up. So if instead of you as a coach planning every piece of practice, maybe on a certain day, you give one class member or an individual on your team or you know, your sophomore class the opportunity to pick what warm-up drill we're gonna do that day. Let's say you have five different options. You don't really care which one they do. The team needs to warm up. So that's an opportunity to give them some co-creation, some ownership of their sport experience. And there's so many examples that are small easy to do without sacrificing. I get coaches saying all the time, well, but I'm the coach, I'm in charge. Yes, you are. And there's so many opportunities for you to co-create with your student athletes that take nothing away from you being in charge of your program. 
different things about feedback. Like mm -hmm. today's student athlete, you often hear um, in the more critical ways, today's student athlete is sometimes referred to as teacups or snowflakes. So, you know, super fragile, if they get dropped, they just shatter snowflakes when the heat is on or the pressure of the adversary, they simply melt. So instead of holding that as true, can we teach them some of the resilience skills? And what's interesting is that when it comes to feedback, Gen Z craves instant, honest feedback. The way it's delivered is specific. So the research on Gen Z shows that it's best received when it's delivered by someone who has knowledge of the sport, is calm, caring, and encouraging, which if you look at historically, even individuals my age, so I'm 38, and I grew up having coaches that were much more transactional in nature. You know, I'm the coach, you're the athlete, you do what I say. And there was a very kind of dominant, aggressive coaching style to what we're seeing in the country now with this generation is a much more transformative style. So it's much more person-centered and collaborative than anything that we've experienced before. So there's in the course and in the workshop, I identify eight challenges that the relationship with technology has resulted in us experiencing as coaches and then provide, I think in total, there's 57 different options for how you can engage with today's student athlete and all quick hits, like things anybody can start doing today because it benefits people to be able to learn something and then apply it right away not have to you know, keep coming back to the source of, Betsy, teach me how to do this. It's all there, you can adopt whatever serves you and it's made a big difference, which is super exciting to see. Wow, okay. <laughs> that was uh, that was a very very cool way to share uh, what I think is probably a very valuable workshop for listeners. We are visiting with Betsy Butterick, a professional communication coach. Uh, we're going to come back, uh, but right now we're going to take a quick break and hear from our podcast sponsor, Violet Defense. Once again, we want to thank Violet Defense for sponsoring the Educational AD Podcast. Violet Defense is dedicated to protecting our world from germs by bringing the power of UV disinfection to everyday spaces. Their patented technology enables them to harness the power of the sun to incorporate ultraviolet light into products and environments like never before. Whether you're ready to implement existing products, or if you'd like to explore researching and developing a custom deployment of their technology for your school, Violet Defense has the solutions and the experience you need. Thanks again to Violet Defense for sponsoring the Educational AD Podcast. Welcome back. We're visiting with Betsy Butterick, professional communication coach. Uh, for our listeners, we're recording this on August 5th, so it's going to be pretty timely when you are listening to it. Um, Betsy, um, I'm going to throw a, a different question at you than we typically ask our, our athletic directors. Right now, the Olympics are going strong, and it's very exciting to watch all the, all the different events. But um, I, I've got a question. It's been getting a lot of chatter on, on social media and kind of revolves around this idea of you know, mental health. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Simone Biles has just been so very open and candid about some of the challenges that you know, she has uh, uh, had to face competing at, a, at the highest level and on a world stage. You know, and I certainly don't claim to understand uh, that at all. But uh, for an athletic director or coach who's listening, how do we find that balance between, 
you know, encouraging and challenging an athlete, uh, student athlete to be the very best that they can. And also being aware and sensitive to some of the challenges that they might be experiencing in their life. Sure. Great question. And we're very, I mean, we're fully in that space. And I'll say, as someone who seeks to support both coaches and student athletes, it's been my experience recently, Jake, when I'm doing student athlete interviews. So when I start working with a program, more so at the college level, but sometimes at the high school level, I'll have informational interviews with each athlete in the program to get a sense of what is it like to be them in this sport experience. One thing that I am so just um, pleased by or, or that gives me so much joy is, is the number of student athletes that I hear tell me, well, I was talking with my therapist about, and it's like, we're seeing a higher rate of student athletes today that have overcome the stigmatism for previous generations around what it means to have an issue related to mental health and are proactively seeking resources so that they can navigate the spaces that they're in. I think about the amount of changes that are happening for someone that's in high school or in college. And that alone, I mean, we've all gone through it. That alone, gosh, it would have been so wonderful to have somebody that you know is a third party to talk to about the things that I'm experiencing that I'm trying to make sense of in my own head. So when we talk about finding the balance between pushing while also respecting and supporting, for me, and yes, I look at this through a communication lens, it comes down to conversation, to the open dialogue of asking student athletes. And this is really, a, I'll say this is one of the tools that I always recommend is to look at how much we're telling versus how much we're asking. So being genuinely curious about a student athlete's experience, knowing that we see them for a finite amount of time. So we see them in practice. We might see them, you know, depending on the environment between classes, if we're also teaching, especially at the high school level, but we see them in such a small portion of their life and everything else that's going on outside, we're not aware of until we ask. Now, not everyone's going to be completely transparent with sharing, but simply creating the open environment where it is safe for them to share, where they do understand that you're genuinely interested, allows us to get more information to better know when is it appropriate to push and when might we need to back off. The other thing I'll say, and, and I'm grateful for the way that social media has really made it easier for today's student athlete to be intentional about their mental health, whether we're looking at, you know, Kevin Love in the NBA, different right. examples from the WNBA, uh, Naomi within women's tennis, we've got Simone Biles on the Olympic stage. And I saw a great flow chart recently that basically ends with, if you go yes, all the way through, it ends, I am literally Simone Biles. Like I know exactly what it is to be me and everything else is like, then you have no idea, right? So, and it's all the different achievements from her past, the amount of pressure on an individual. And then I think about, you know, an example from Olympics past, Carrie Strug competing and winning gold on a broken ankle. It's like, in a way we societally have championed the dampening down of emotions of pain, the fighting through, you know, the We've made that something that we idealize. And what we're realizing in the decades since is that that may not be best for long-term health and competitive greatness. When we focus on mental health, and I know a lot of coaches feel ill-equipped to address mental health issues with their student athletes. Again, it's one more thing that's being put on their plate. And so they don't touch it because they think, well, I'm not a professional. I don't want to say or do the wrong thing. So I'm going to steer away from it. Even if we help direct our student athletes to resources that are better suited than we might be skill-wise to have conversations around mental health, 
for me, I believe that someone who's very in tune with how they're doing mentally and what they need is actually able to perform better and longer over time. So if we can lean into this education, whether it's self-education, team education, individual education for our student athletes about what mental health is and means and looks like, and then even relating it to their mental game. And I see mental skills coaches all the time taking advantage of the fact that today's student athlete is much more aware of what's going on for them internally and able to talk about it with their coaches, which again, the more information we have, the easier it is to know whether to push or support. And everyone's going to respond differently. So what motivates an individual? Um, what shuts them down? Those are the things that we learn within the coaching relationship and dynamic. But I think the mental health piece, I love that it's such a focus right now. And I'll share personally, uh, it's probably about three years ago, I had a conversation with my mom and I was saying something about, you know, I'm so grateful for the way that you and dad raised us. And she said, you know, sometimes I don't, I don't feel that successful as a parent because two of my three kids are in therapy. And I said, mom, the fact that two of your three kids know enough about themselves and have that confidence to ask for help means that you did a great job. So can we reshape, especially for older generations, our notions and preconceptions about what a mental health issue is and what a crisis of mental health means and looks like and vulnerably lean into, wow, what an opportunity to support our student athletes in all the changes that they're experiencing, one avenue, is sport. But if we can be there for our student athletes, even just, you know, hey, what can I do to support you? What is it that you feel like you need right now? Cultivating their self-awareness, that's a skill they have for life, separate from anything we can teach them inside of our sport. Wow, great, great advice. I really appreciate you sharing that. Okay. Well, Betsy, this has been so cool uh, getting to know you and listening to you. Uh, I think we probably have two or three other shows uh, that we could do on this. Um, <laughs> but we're not quite done today. Uh, we always like to wrap up with what we call the athletic director's toolbox. Now you're not an athletic director, but you certainly know your way around sports, you know, having coached uh, at the highest level and uh, your work with student athletes and coaches. So here's my task for you right now. Um, okay. I want you to prepare a brand new high school athletic director for their very first AD job, mm. but I'm only mm. going to let you put three things in their toolbox. What okay. three items are going to go in Betsy Butterick's athletic director toolbox? Mm. The three items that would go into my toolbox for a new AD would be listening, collaboration, and service. And I'll expand a little on those, Jake. So the listening piece, what I've seen be most successful for athletic directors, especially new ones at both the high school and college level, is when they come in and the very first thing they do is be intentional about having conversations with all the people that have been there longer than them about what their experience is, what they feel is working well, where they could use some support, what their pain points are, so athletic directors that spend intentional time investing in those initial conversations see a much better return on investment in relationships. And I think sometimes as a new, this is true for coaches too, as a new coach or a new AD, we often feel responsible as the leader to come in with a plan. And yet we've never even met or checked in with the people that are, we're asking to get on board with that plan. So we gain so much relationship capital when we invest in listening first 
we can still come with our plan, but that plan is gonna be a lot easier to implement and much more effective if we first put in the time listening to the experience of others. And that relates a little bit to the telling versus asking. Like when we ask people about their experience versus telling them what we want to create for them in terms of an experience, we get a lot farther together. So listening is the first piece. The second, I think I said was collaboration. Um, and the collaboration, it exactly relates to, okay, how do we increase things like ownership and agency and accountability? Well, we do that by involving people in the process. And it's fascinating. If someone has an opinion that's different than yours and you take time to listen to that opinion and to have a conversation about it, even if you go in the opposite direction from what they want, they're much more likely to get on board because you've created space for them to feel like they've been heard. And when we value the voices of those around us, we find ourselves in a much better position to collaborate and move forward. So having a great pulse as an AD, getting out of the office and into the spaces where our coaches, our administrators interact with our student athletes, highly visible ADs, get those steps in. I mean, we think about you know having meetings in our office. It's such a different experience to have a coach called to an athletic director's office than to have a meeting in a, a neutral space, maybe even a walk and talk, something that, especially if it's a new AD, and I've never met this coach before, instead of having them come sit in my office or me go sit in their office, I'm going to invite them to just walk and talk with me for five, 10 minutes, putting ourselves relationally, physically on the same plane, having something to do walking while we're talking. There's avenues for eye contact there, but it doesn't feel like the pressure of sitting in a space with someone new, having a conversation that we've never had before. So that collaboration, how do we get outside of maybe the norm of what we're used to doing and really get in touch with both in shared physical space, but also through conversation with the people that we seek to support. And then the service piece, the most successful athletic directors I know are continually intentional about how can I help? Like, what do you need? How can I help? With boundaries, of course. I mean, I know a lot is being asked of our ADs, especially in response to COVID and all the social justice issues that are present within our country today. The athletic directors that are really intentional about how can I serve and lead from a place of service, from a place of support. What do you need to be successful? How can I help facilitate that? How are things going for you? And in what way can I be someone to support your goals and the things that you're looking to achieve? So listening, collaboration, service would be the three tools that I would put in, in a new ADs toolbox. Great, great advice. Uh, thanks again for sharing. Betsy, if, if one of our listeners wanted to reach out to you, and I strongly encourage you to do so, um, you know, check out the website, but how do they get in touch with you? How would they pick your brain? Sure. You can go to betsybutterick.com. That's the website. There's a contact form there that you could fill out. All the links to my social media are there. You can find me on Instagram at Betsy underscore the coaches coach or on Twitter at Betsy Butterick. And if you're interested in the Gen Z course, you can link to it through my website or you can go to betsybutterick.com forward slash gen dash Z dash course. And all the information about the course is there. That would be something if I had a fourth thing, Jake, that I would put in a new 80s toolkit is educate all of your coaches about how they can better communicate and connect with today's student athlete. It's going to cut down on student athlete complaints. It's going to cut down on the calls that you get from parents, but use the resources available. And I wish you the best in your new AD journey if you're, if you're one of those that's listening today. No, absolutely. You can have that fourth tool. And, and that's why we're doing this. You know, athletic directors are supposed to coach coaches. And uh, 
you can't be an expert in everything and uh, having you on today, hopefully uh, is gonna generate at least if nothing else, more awareness for ADs uh, about the importance of how it can help your student athletes, help your coaches and ultimately help your program and you. Absolutely. Betsy Butterick, thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure, Jake. Thanks for your time and good luck to everyone out there. Oh. For listeners, remember the Zoom recordings of these interviews are being uploaded to the Educational AD Podcast YouTube channel. Thanks for listening today. Come back again next time for another episode of the Educational AD. Mm-hmm.